Yep, we're live. All right. Okay, I'll kick us off, y'all. All right, let's, let's go. do it. Okay, so the HBO show The Wire follows the Baltimore Police Department as they investigate organized criminal activity. And today, on the right perspective, we are going to recap and discuss the third season of the show, which premiered in September of 2004. And after our discussion, we will determine if the show is indeed a classic from other right a perspective. And so each episode, we pick a voting symbol that is relevant for the show or movie that we're talking about. And so today, for The Wire season three, we are going to rate it by giving it one, two, or three hamsters. <laughs> no. No? Okay. <laughs> Little, little play on words? No? No. All right. Okay. <laughs> I can't. We should do we should do police badges. All right, police badges. Police badges. Okay. We did badges before though. Did we? We did. We did badges for the no, we did pagers. Pagers? Yeah. We did pagers for season one. Season two, we did containers. Yeah. And so season three. We're doing badges all right police okay badges. police good. badges okay all right I, I all right i'm i i want to tell you i'm not 100 satisfied with badges to me it does not feel what else, what else are we using? i don't what have else? a better idea because i thought hamsters was a top-notch idea so i don't know but it doesn't but, even, the, the, it doesn't it doesn't go with it doesn't it's not good okay so yeah badges. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not good. Okay, so badges. Okay, so <laughs> so in terms of format, I um well first why don't we do introductions, bro? Why don't you kick us off? Hi, I'm Aubrey. I'm the oldest. I'm Janaya. I'm the middle. I am Brittany, and I am the youngest. Yay! Okay, so uh, we are going to attempt something that has never before been attempted in the history of the right perspective podcast in our, in our long history <laughs> in our, long, in our history long history of i believe six episodes we have never before attempted to do this in a timely manner we just <laughs> haven't and so but this this episode it's not a concern it hasn't been before but today <laughs> this episode we're we're a whole new podcast because we are going to manage our time folks you just get ready we're going to knock your socks off. All right. With our great time management. So we are going to go first into a quick, that's right, quick recap of the of season three of The Wire. And then we are going to move into certain discussion topics that we actually picked in advance. See, look at this upgrade. So we picked some topics in advance and we're going to move through those topics and we're going to manage our time. All right, and we're also looking forward to you engaging with us via Facebook. So please chat it up, send us notes, and Brittany's gonna keep us in touch with you during the course of the show. So let's start with our quick summary of season three of The Wire. So as, as I mentioned earlier, the show follows the Baltimore Police Department as they investigate organized criminal activity. In season one, the show focused on the local drug trade. In season two, we get farther up the supply chain and we got a peek into the international criminal activity 
that was taking place in Baltimore via the Baltimore docks. And in season three, the season we're focusing on today, the show focused on the political pieces of the puzzle, especially city and state participation, AKA corruption and shenanigans. So local politicians are feeling a ton of pressure to reduce the crime rate in Baltimore for their own selfish reasons, such as needing to get reelected and to keep the public pressure off of them. And also for actual like good reasons. So to keep people safe and to keep people from moving out of the city. And so, and also to like keep funding in the city. And so the politicians ending up, end up putting a ton of pressure on the police department to keep the crime numbers down. And they basically say, do it by any means necessary. Don't tell us how you're doing it, but you need to do it. And this leads the police department to employ some questionable tactics, including the creation of free zones in the city where drug dealers can essentially deal drugs without fear of penalty and drug users can use drugs without fear of penalty. And we spend a lot of time in the in the season in one of the free zones in particular. And that one is called so drug drug dealers can sell so drug dealers can deal drugs and drug users can use drugs. That's right, but okay, it's with the, it's, sure. but see, but you're missing the little important caveat there, bro, which is that they can do it without fear of penalty. Okay, that's what's happening right. in the free zone. <laughs> I know. Okay, I know. and then um, and then we spend a lot of time in one of the free zones, which is actually called Hamsterdam. So you see, that's why I was recommending that earlier for our voting mechanism but I did not get support on that recommendation. Um, And so when when the police officer tactics come to light, the politicians are scrambling to either distance themselves from the problem that they created, or they are trying to find a way to use it as a way to use it for their own gain. And our favorite characters from seasons one and two, the police department, and our characters from the Barksdale Drug Organization both have a role in implementing or leveraging this controversial tactic of the free zones. And they also, both groups, have to deal with the fallout of the the zones. And while they're dealing with the regular war that they always have going on and their internal wars within groups, they are now dealing with this ongoing war between the politicians and the police department. And so that is a, a high level overview of what happened. In well, I gotta, I gotta tell you, sister, I'm, all, I'm already impressed. I'm already, I'm already. <laughs> so we are, good. We I'm are managing good. the heck of it out of this time. You're, you're, you're cooking with Crisco already, right <laughs> oh, off the top. Yes, that's the good stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, bro, bro, do you want to kick us off just to get into our discussion? Well, um, so our first topic that uh, we're going to kind of get into is the uh, just talking about the politics of it all. Um, right, and, I've started like, the timer. All right. <laughs> Yeah, we are like 15 minutes. Yeah, we are, I mean, oh my goodness, it is so organized right now. Oh my it's just god, unbelievable. So but, but um, yeah, and I'm gonna tell you that it was very interesting watching how they portrayed how this the the political side of this seeps into everything. 
mm-hmm. you know? And I just really love that because in the show, um, obviously we have the mayor, um, uh, Royce, right? That's, that's his name. And obviously he has all his political connections and all that kind of stuff. And it's just so interesting watching how all of those little connections actually are only like one or at most two degrees removed from the, the you know, the illegal drug trade. Mm-hmm. Because even um, like you uh, alluded to in the beginning, the whole thing that is kicking this off is that these police officers are under, it, it, it's, you see the, uh, the people who don't really care about, you know, what's going on, but they just for their own selfish reasons, just want this number, this number to get to, you know, this number to get down. Just but arbitrarily just, reduce just, this number. Yeah, just, just reduce this number. Yeah. But they, they don't want to know how, and the crazy thing is, is at the same time, the police officers run the risk of their whole career if they try to do anything to fix the problem, you know? So um, I think that true. Uh, we, we were talking about how, um, how this drove so many of the police people uh, or the police officers to do things that I don't think they would have done if number one, actual help was what the goal was. You know what, well, I'm saying if if the goal was actually, you know, policing, if that was the actual goal, they would be able to do a lot more. Uh, But just because of these people from on high who don't even, one thing that was interesting because you talked about the free zones and stuff, but what's what's interesting is that a lot of the uh, politicians had no idea what was going on just because they don't even drive through these, you know. It's completely out of touch, completely yeah. out of touch. And all they, all the politicians were concerned about. So when, so what's, and you alluded to this, bro, but when the politicians were saying reduce crime, what they were actually saying was have fewer numbers to tabulate. So they weren't actually saying go in to the community, understand the issues, and let's all partner to resolve them. They weren't saying that at all. They were saying have fewer murders somehow. Just have fewer. We don't want as many. You know, have fewer drug arrests, just have fewer without really at all talking about the problem. They never once said, go and figure out what's happening and and resolve it. They just said, get get us lower numbers. That was it. And and, and what what was interesting, and I wonder how close this is to reality, is how because of that political pressure, they are now changing like the, the the crimes around, you know, to, to so um, like they'll take uh, a felony break in and change it to something else, you know, misdemeanor uh, vandalism or, or whatever. Just all the the different things that they're not actually solving the crime, they're just changing it so that at the end of the day, you'll be able to uh, report those numbers, and mm-hmm. um, because of that the numbers might fluctuate, but what's actually happening just stays the same. Or gets worse. Or gets worse. Or gets worse. Yep. You know? Because what what you end up realizing is that the job description of police is, is either wrong or incomplete, right? 
I mean, what we end up seeing is that, um, you know, the politicians, their role is supposed to be partnership with community, right? That's what we think of. They're supposed to be partnering with community. The pol and especially we're talking about local politicians. These are city council people. Okay, we, we do get to the state level, you know, but we're talking about city council people, we're talking about police commissioners, these people that are supposed to be uh, in touch with the public and, and at the heart of their roles, having a sense of what people need and what the problems are, and then working with those people to get solutions. That's what they're supposed to be doing. But they spend so much time with like self-preservation in mind. How do I just stay enrolled? Right. Right. How do I just stay present? And I, I do want to take a moment and say hello to Billy, Joey, and Cassandra. They are watching. We have more viewers, but you guys, the, the live won't show us who's all showing. So if you can chime in and say hello, we definitely want to shout you out because we appreciate you for being here so much. So Yay. thanks. And sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to make sure I shouted everyone out that's commenting. Well, I would love to hear some comments, sis. What are what are the people saying about this role of the politicians? Because Listen, you know what? We need you all to weigh in on this because I mean, as I was watching this season, I found myself being so angry with the politicians as individuals because they were the absolute worst. But what the actual issue is the way that we expect politicians to perform. Yeah. Right. Because there's a piece of their work that is performative because it's like if they aren't seeming, you know, super great to us and put it all all put together, all put together. If they aren't telling us the numbers go down, then we don't believe they're effective when the mm -hmm. reality is that that's not really yep. what we should be challenging them to do. We really need to be asking them to, like, do some kind of long game strategies about stuff. You know, but that's not what we mm -hmm. want. We want we want progress. We want numbers. So the 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 community also has a role to play here in how broken all of this is. Well, yeah, I was just going to say that I felt like Janaya in this season more than usual because it's <laughs> incredibly it's a hard not to I'll tell you that it, it, yep. it's it's just very frustrating to see. Let's talk about, so we have the mayor, Royce. We have uh, the city councilman, um, uh, Carcetti. Also known and, as Lord Baelish from Game of Thrones. Okay. Listen, <laughs> yes. yeah, he, 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 he was a jerk on Game of Thrones and also, he was a jerk on The Wire. Also known as Lord Baelish, according to Janai in our text thread that we were talking about this, this show because... Very my, my, my sisters and names are they just won't connect them. But but but, <laughs> but it's he just knows who he is. He but knows it's just, who he is. <laughs> but it, but you have him, you have um you have uh the other Tony Gray, who's also the city councilman, and ultimately uh you, a race for a mayor emerges from uh through between the three of these people, between um Carcetti, Royce, and, and Gray. And one of the things that is so funny when you hear all of their camps talking, nobody is talking about actually affecting anything. Everybody is just talking about the strategy to just mm -hmm. win. Mm -hmm. And it's just so uh, frustrating because if somebody came in 
let, let's say there was somebody else who wanted to run for mayor and they just wanted to improve things. They wouldn't even be successful mm-hmm. because they're, they're not sitting in these back rooms just trying to figure out how to win. Oh, this city is this percent of this demographic. And, you know, th- so because of that, I need this person to run so that, you know, f- for one example, Carcetti wanted, Carcetti who's white, wanted uh, Tony Gray, who's black, to run for mayor, not because for any other reason than he would split the black vote from Royce, who's the current incumbent mayor. And it's just- And that would be the only way for Carcetti as a white person to have a, possi- a possible chance of, of winning in Baltimore, a place that is mostly black in terms yeah. of its population. I, I will tell you, Cassandra, she did say um, serving without divine purpose, um, just talking about the police and just what they're doing. I'm not really looking at their purpose. And Keisha said that Lord Baelish, in reference to Lord Baelish, you see what <laughs> happened to him on, on GOT. Yeah. She, so she was saying, yeah. see what happened to Lord Baelish. Yeah. On, you get uh, taught Game a valuable Thrones. lesson. Eventually exactly. you, get, you, you get, because you know what, and you know Politics, what? Politics, yeah. Go ahead, sis. So I, now I was just going to say the, the hard, the hard parts about this are, when they are ready to shut down Hamsterdam, right, which we'll get into soon, they start talking about the good parts. Well, let, let's and just get there's into some. It. Well, there there are some parts that, because to still speak on the politics part, mm-hmm. is that there are some parts where they are, you can see the glimmer of them trying to do something right, to 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 see a little piece of this, to see do it in a correct way. But there's so much corruption. There's so much trying to, again, this self-preservation piece. There's so much trying to push this person out. There's so much of these outweighing them when they start to get a little piece of it. Even going to the community meetings that they had. These community meetings in the beginning of the season, 10 people. You know, five, 10 people coming in. You could tell they're the ones that are like, I'm at every community meeting. I know all these Because I'm sick and tired. Because I'm, I'm sick and tired. When things started to improve, that community meeting had more people. And they were more willing to be a part of the neighborhood and to do more things. Lord Baelish, in his can, own little twisted way. Can we call Carcetti. him? Thank you. Carcetti. Listen, I was about to start calling the man Thomas like I know his mama. Oh Thomas. Okay. Yeah, that's his first name. Okay. Thomas, he, what makes me laugh the most about him is that he is high off his own supply. He honestly thinks in his mind that he cares when the truth of the matter is thomas you care about becoming mayor and right now this is what is important to you well i I think he has a slippery slope type of personality but with the pressure trickling down people feeling like they're not being heard then you have the state's office to come in and say you did this we're cutting off half of a billion dollars or a million dollars billion billion half of a we're we're cutting off half of a billion dollars of your resources to your city what do you do in that moment somebody has to take the fall somebody has to take the fall and you guys we're down to two minutes and 35 seconds well well, (laughs) well, i think that um 
to go back to your point of talking about Karketi because he's one of my favorite characters in the show because I think he has a very interesting arc because right from the beginning, you know, we see him Philandering, you know, he's uh, 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 you know, running around on the his life, just doing these different things. But he's also got this other side of, um, like what you were talking about. One, one issue that he brought up was how witnesses who come forward to testify in cases are not safe. And this was one thing where he tried to go out of playing politics, where he just. <laughs> I, well, the way they portrayed it, because I in, in every moment where he was talking about it, uh, we, we, every moment where he was talking about it uh, by himself, even when they were showing him by himself, it was like he was saying, well, I want to do this one thing, like outside of the politics, I want to do this, this one thing. I'm not going to, you know, leak it to the media, nothing like that. Like this one thing, I want to just go talk to the mayor and just say, look, we just need something to help these people who are witnessing. But the point I'm trying to make is, is when he tried it that way, didn't work. So even when, you know, and, and I guess we could debate what, what it seemed like his, uh, in that, when it, with reference to that one uh, issue, it seemed like his intentions were as close to pure as it could be. And I'm just saying I would, I would agree that they were as close to pure as can be because but I would still say they were his actual intention was to find a thing that he could do that he would be able to put his stamp on. And so the reason he picked that thing was because he felt like it was a way that he could create and leverage relationships to move to push himself forward. So How? He, even, but in his, because he, if you recall, when he first came to that tactic, uh, came to that solution as some, as that problem as something he wanted to, to resolve, he immediately moved into wheeling and dealing in order to be able to make it happen. He went directly to the police commissioner and, 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 and went to the mayor. And in those moments, he was talking about himself. He was being very selfish. He was saying, this is something I can do. This is a place where I want to have impact. He was not at all actually advocating for protecting people. He was advocating for the message of having been the protector of people. But he, he wanted to be with, able but to- with that, with that being said, it's time to go to talking about what it looks like protecting a neighborhood. We're on Amsterdam. <laughs> Man, I, now I see why our show goes 18 hours because I have so much more to say on category one. Well, so let's segue. Thanks for thanks for the time check, sis. You know, um, and, and I do want to say hello to Ryan. When we our family is on here strong, y'all. Ryan, Ryan, Keisha, Alexis, we have Ruby on here. Hey, everybody! Thank you so much for chiming in and coming in. We want to hear your thoughts. And thanks for the time check, sis. You know, so we're moving now from the conversation of like, okay, the politicians, they had mixed motives. Um, they were all somewhere on the spectrum of trying to help the people to trying to help themselves. 
And regardless of where they fell, it ended up creating a ton of pressure for the police. And so there was one police person, Major Colvin, who, and listen, this is like a seasoned police officer. This man been in the game. In fact, he's at the beginning of the season. He's just six months from his 30 year anniversary. He's ready to retire. He's put in his time. And he has seen the police uh, force evolved so much. And he has, he started in this place of like in his career where police have relationship with community to now what he's seeing as this extreme, as this war between the police and politicians and the, and, and the people who are seen as the evil doers and the criminals. And so he is in this desperate state. He comes up with this idea of the free zones that we talked about earlier. And I gotta tell you, Major Colvin, he was one of my favorite characters in this episode, mm, in this true. season, because you saw this man just feeling like, um, again, bro, back to the spectrum of like, whose motives are actually pure. Major Colvin was like, listen, we gonna get these numbers down, okay? And he said, and I know exactly how we're gonna do it. He went out with one of his partners, one of his, somebody on his team, and they went and scoped out the parts of the city that were getting no attention from the residents or from the city itself. These were vacant places that full of dilapidated buildings. And he said, you know what? If crime happened right here in these little isolated zones, it would move it out of the places where people are living. It would move it out of commercial zones. It would move it out of, out of active residential zones and into these areas that are like kind of like dead areas in the city. And so he literally has his police officers in his hall, the West side, where he has leadership. He has them beat, actually beat the criminals off the corners. And, and, and he tells them, if you go set up in these free zones, we're not going to touch you. You can do whatever and the H-E double hockey sticks you want. And that's where, that's how we find ourselves in Amsterdam. And what, what Probably was should your... explain the name. Oh yeah. You want to take it, bro? Well, um, they, when they're in the process of moving these street level drug dealers to these free zones, obviously these are not people who, first of all, I mean, just imagine somebody telling you, you could go sell drugs basically legally um, in, this, in these zones, you know, first of all, they can't even wrap their mind around that because even one of them, made a point at, at, at <laughs> that look we sell the drugs you try to stop us you're messing that's up the, the rules that's like the that's game. the game you know? <laughs> so there was a lot of resistance getting them there and in one of these uh conversations one of the police officers was saying look if you go here it's like amsterdam you know because it's free you know just say you, it's you, legal it's legal essentially in these in these areas and it was just another thing that these um, corner dealers, their world is literally just their neighborhood. And so they never even heard of Amsterdam. So they heard Hamsterdam. And that was the uh, name that ended up spreading out so throughout the city. That's why this show and, is no, so good. This show is so good. Because it doesn't miss an opportunity to create a message. That's right. You know? And, and oh. Uh, contrary to what Janai says, it had nothing to do with hamsters. Okay. <laughs> nothing. Uh, thank you for no that underscore. Thank you for that underscore. <laughs> I I so, these, so you guys, the, the, these free zones, if you can imagine 
all types of shenanigans are happening in these free zones and literally Sign the police, yes <laughs> the police are sitting at the borders allow it just watching all this happen now many of the police are doing this oh all of them really are doing this under the premise colvin has told them listen we're going to get all of them in one place and i'm time checking myself right 10 minutes we're going to get all this in one place and we are going to then get these drug clean but first we're going to worry about the other parts of the neighborhood and so you guys inside this you have illegal you have drugs prostitution you're seeing all types of drug addicts you're seeing all types of activity mm. but here's the thing about trying to control crime crime begets crime so you have some of the <laughs> drug dealers you have the drug dealers getting robbed by other drug by stick-up kids and other drug dealers you have um a situation where now because the the drugs are all happening in one place they don't what are called the hoppers which are the younger children who are the ones that go get the drugs after the money has been passed to a more mid-level um drug dealer uh, well not even so much mid-level maybe a little bit under mid-level they are they'll get the money and then the hoppers go get the drugs and give it to the addicts um now they're saying well we don't have any use for the hoppers so the hoppers they were making money now they're not making money and now you're seeing other problems starting to happen and police are having to get involved and say listen and even to the point where you said listen you need to give these hoppers money because this is unemployment so <laughs> having to even teach them this that these things are happening you're just seeing this subset of issues start to emerge within this thing while the streets that were were trying to clean them up now we've just really made a situation but you're starting really good things happen yeah. as well yeah so, so so you don't do you think do you all think amsterdam was a good idea mm. that, that's what well I i'll mean, tell cause, you because you're, you're you're talking about definitely how much was going on inside of amsterdam but to me if we're talking about actually reducing harm and and you Janai, you said something about um uh major colvin i don't think his he never really talked about the numbers it was like he was talking about actually reducing crime and which is a different conversation and that's why he's one of my favorite characters as well 100 because he put himself on the line like look i need to try to do something before before i'm out of here before I retire, I want to try to I do want something. to do something. And to me, the free zones was a phenomenal idea. Because if we, if we if we talk genius. about if we talk about what was actually happening, yes, it was going down in those areas. You but, know what? It was a it was a wonderful I I I would say it was a it was a wonderful beginning of a concept. What emerged really quickly though is that it was an incomplete concept because the concept was basically treating um criminal activity as if it was something that you could consolidate and keep it from, you know, keep the numbers from growing that somehow if you took this population and you put it by itself that it would it would be able to to be in a little 
silo by itself, but that's just not the way it works. And so the numbers just kept growing. The numbers just kept growing. It was, cre- and as Brittany said earlier, it was creating new issues. If you, but, if but, you, but, oh, but not, there but were not really too, though. You guys don't forget not really. the rules. Not really. When, they when were we not talk- allowed to fight and there were no guns. They did give them the those o- rules. But, but they, they, the they, o- they had to, they ended up having de facto other services brought into the place. So once Let me just say this one thing before we mm-hmm. move on is that it didn't, they they didn't have that many problems. Like like they they had the one problem with the stick up kids, and then they corrected it. And the biggest problem outside of that was the murder, which. But what? I, but I, and I don't disagree with that, bro. But I guess I guess it is a solution if you accept the operating assumption that drugs and drug dealers will always be there. If you accept that operating solution, that operating assumption, then yes, it was a really great solution. But if what you are actually saying is your operating premise is that these things are are, are challenges that 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 emerge out of larger issues that need to be resolved, then it is not a perfect solution. Because as we talked about in the prior seasons, the reason people were turning to drug dealing, that it was actually economic issues. It was actually accessibility issues. It was actually all the things that come from economic issues like need for healthcare, need for family support, need for education. It's a, a community not having a legitimate tax base so that they aren't getting services from the public. They aren't getting public dollars. And so it's not actually resolving the issue. It's not well, solving it, it, it at all. It's it not solving it at all. The, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't have a chance to. But, but putting the drug dealers all in one place doesn't resolve the issues that create the need it, for, for drug dealers but, and but drug let use me, let me, let me is just what I'm offer, saying. Let me just offer this as, because yes, putting them, first of all, consolidating is a is a great way to resolve issues in any you know any discourse that you're you could think of so putting problems in one place is always a great way to be able to address things but now that they were all in one place there were a couple of things that could have happened and i'm i'm just saying that could have happened and the first thing is is that now that you got everybody in one place you can start tackling the issues one at a time. Just like when they talked about, when they brought the public health people down, that look, now we can start exchanging needles. Now we can start uh, passing out condoms. Now we can start doing testing to find out uh, for STDs. Now we can start doing, and they said they were even starting to get people's ear, which would, in terms of bringing them into drug um, rehab uh, programs, which is, it's now, hard to find your your the addicts. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with them. <laughs> well, but, yeah, because they're, they're usually all over the yeah. place. But now now right. we got they're them all over the place. Now we now we got them in one place where we can start getting to know them and learning. And here's here's the other side of this is that the rest of the city was flourishing. Okay, so what I'm saying is is if you had a situation now, well, the Western the, District. <laughs> the Western District was flourishing, but but once you have the rest of the city flourishing, now we're starting to be able to create economic opportunities. But but here but what I'm saying is it's not actually flourishing. The numbers are yes. still the same. Yes. But 
No, what I'm saying is the numbers of the number of the amount of criminal activity has not decreased. So the number because of it drugs didn't, because it didn't have a chance this, to. But but what I'm saying is what's actually happening is that they aren't counting what happens in that zone. It's not that it I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking I'm not talking about the numbers. I'm talking about I'm talking about the fact that these people no longer had crime happening in their direct neighborhood. I'm not talking about the I mean, what I'm saying is is if this was able to continue. It had to me I think it was one of the best ideas ever because not only do you have the public health, not only do you have people possibly being able to create other opportunities now that there aren't drug dealers on every corner, but also one thing that they spoke about was it takes away from the, um, like once it becomes legal to do in a sense, it takes away from you kind of being this, you know, gangster bad person because you're doing something that so it takes some of the lore out of it as well and i just in my mind i feel like if they really focused on that over time i will tell you Keisha, she didn't make the comment that um well everyone when you said sodom and gomorrah now alexis joy and keisha they were all like preach lol you're being veronica you're being our mom <laughs> like um, and Akisha did make the statement that there is no honor among thieves. And also, hey, Nick and Toya, um, they mm, doing this oh, as we well. We can do a whole podcast one, on whether there's honor right. among thieves. And I, I will say one thing, because we have 30 seconds left in this part. I just wanted to add in that while, again, this may not have been the ultimate solution, right, to the problem, we were starting to see some young boys find interest in other things. They were beginning to be able to be kids again. They were getting to play basketball and the police were starting to interact with them and have a little bit of fun. And um, one of the individuals who had just gotten out of jail, he created a boxing ring. Like these, these kids were starting to find alternatives other than dealing drugs, um, which then brings us into our next topic, uh, which is talking about the police crew. You guys, listen, when I tell you people we are committed to these time frames, so I hard. Feel like we're going to have to revisit because I really feel like we're missing some good stuff. We are. We need to be somehow next time we need a more organic transition or something. something. Because it's like we're just like stopping the conversation so abruptly. It's so it's, hard. It's so okay. hard. Discipline so is much. hard. Change is hard. Listen, Keep us moving. It is sis. tough. It yeah. is tough. Mm -hmm. But we are on to the next topic, which is talking about um, our police crew, which I will tell you, I just, I just love the Avengers so much. <laughs> I just love them so much. But I will tell you, it's funny getting to know more about McNulty because he has been a wild card since he was a police officer. Since he started, the day he started, he doesn't, he pushbacks to the that's what he wants. This has just been McNulty since he has been there. Um, and so learning more about them, I'm like, this doesn't excuse you, McNulty, from being butted. Um, but this does, it does make us start to understand you more. Well, so um, how, how, so how, so what was the understanding you got? 
just about who he is. I just was like, why are you being so insubordinate with Daniels, who okay. is the the lead um, lieutenant over them? And I just couldn't. I was like, what? Why you need to be fired? But then I also just noticed that when someone has been allowed to be who they are since forever with really no repercussion, the one are like, why would they change? Okay. So I'm going to continue to do my own cases. I'm going to continue to, <laughs> to do whatever I want to do when you're clearly, clearly telling me to do this one thing, even though it's based off a hunch and I want to continue to see things through. But you also are starting to learn more that policing is all McNulty has. You knew that, but you see that in this season, his coworkers are calling that out. Lester said to him, you don't have anything outside of this. And he was like, you need to get a life outside of here. And once McNulty is seeing things fall apart, he is realizing, I do need to get something outside of here. I do have to have more. But it's hard because when everything on the outside is falling apart, my ex-wife doesn't want me anymore. My, my, my little side piece is now somebody else's side piece. The lawyer is sleeping with Daniels. We won't get into that. And then you have these, just these portions, he's like, my, I really do have to have something outside of what police work is for me. So just seeing uh, McNulty actually start to listen. I was like, all right, what she call him in the uh, police bush head? What a little, little bush head. I, you know, I just appreciated him start. It took a minute, him starting to, and then also him realizing, you know what, this it's, it's better for me to be on the beat. I want to go back to where I was. That's what, that's what I love. So, um, so yeah, I, I appreciated seeing McNulty um, this, but this is the part I will say of the whole thing that frustrated me the most was this police work in this season. It just felt like nothing was coming together. And I was like, okay, all right. Are we all not talking to each other? What's happening here? I feel like people were having 20 conversations and nobody's having a conversation together. And that's, I think that's one of the things that we're trying to show mm -hmm. that, you know, often the left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what about, um, what about Daniels? I'm, 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 uh, I'm very curious to hear um, your thoughts on how his relationship obviously deteriorated. He, he yeah. created a new relationship. So we uh, see a ton, a ton of relationships have deteriorated. Of lives outside Kima. of work have de have deteriorated this season. You know, we saw at the end of last season that Daniel's choosing to stay with the police, even though he could have had more professional progression outside of the police department. Him, him, his choice to stay there made his wife very frustrated, and we end up seeing at the, that she is now she now has political aspirations of her own. She's actually running for city council in this episode, and Daniel's is he's in his own apartment. He's living as a single man um, and ends up uh, dating the state senator that, Minolt, that McNulty had been seeing on the side while he was married. Um, also, we see Kima, as Brittany just mentioned, Kima's marriage continues to struggle. Kima is now stepping out on her wife. Um, same thing, wife is frustrated because Kima is so focused on the job and doesn't really have values around 
progressing in their personal lives. Kima's not interested in um, having a baby. Unfortunately, they have one and Kima ain't into it, you know? And we also start to see some disconnect between, so, and this, is, this isn't new, but Presbaluski, you know, he's another character that we see having a disconnect between who he actually is and who he is supposed to be in the outside world. You know, his, his, his wife, his in-laws, they're putting pressure on him to be a leader in the police force. And we're, fi we're figuring out that not only is he not great at, at typical like street level police work, his actual passion and interest is something in like data analysis. Like that he's, he's learning that. He's so good. But unable to really flex so that skill set. And then we see Herc and Ellis. Ellis is actually someone who has now he's moving up the ranks in the police department. But guess what? He doesn't have the strategic skill sets that are needed to be a leader in the police department. He is actually oh. only good at going out on the street and beating up people that have been identified as criminals. That's the entirety of his skill set. He has no ability to organize people, to organize teams, or to look for actual issues and to resolve them. He has no ability to do it. And so there's just a ton of disconnect that comes is coming up between who the people are trying to be or who they are thought to be and who they actually are and what they can actually do. And that's unfortunate because who ends up suffering? The city. The city ends up having its issues unresolved. And we end up seeing fighting and tension in, in the teams. And, and bro, you started talking about Daniels. Listen, Daniels is still one of my favorite characters now. Did he really become, you know, less super awesome to me in this season for many reasons? Why, yes, he did. But he remains the person who is the most consistent and at work, at least, in terms of like he is trying to 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 get the work done. He's like, what's my assignment? All right. Let's listen. Do it. I don't know, sis, because what upset me about Daniels is that he still became major. And as soon as Daniels became major and then found out that his wife was going to be on the ticket because he's still married, even though he is now having a relationship that was once private, now public relationship with someone else. He, everything that he had said at one point, you guys, he had made this really just like awesome statement. They created a line for Daniels that was, amazing and him saying to the state senator that he's sleeping with now listen i owe it to my wife to do well, these things because i want she's a lawyer well lawyer yeah because yeah. she's I, I was about i was saying state senator because i was like i thought she was a lawyer but but her being a lawyer he the well the lawyer that he's sleeping with he says listen i have responsibility to my wife i've already put her through so much i i'm going to see this through i'm going to play husband for her at a few chicken dinners. When he finds out that regardless of what happens, that she's gonna be on the ticket and that he becomes major, whatever loyalty he was still having to her is gone. No, that, that, that's even now. That's not that's not what happened. What, what happened what happened that is, is but that's what that's he said what to the lawyer. That's what he said to the lawyer. He said, My wife, she's gonna be on the ticket regardless. That's right. So it wasn't it wasn't that he lost his loyalty. It was, it, was that that, it was resolved. It was a it was a moot point. It, but so, see, so, but it's it's is it a mute point when the public still thinks that you're married and now your husband is out no, and about no, with no, another woman holding hands? No, they're out now. So now their their separation 
is out. That's what he's saying. He, he's saying that they don't have to have the appearance. Of yeah, being they don't have to anymore. have the appearance of being married anymore. He was. They had the appearance of being married so that she could get elected. Right. But now that right. she's going to be elected, they don't have to have that appearance anymore. They can let go of the pretense. Yeah. So they're, so they're publicly separated now. So mm -hmm. they. So when he's with. Oh, honey, I needed to see that. I needed to see that part because let me tell you something. In my mind, until there is a divorce, he is still married. He's yeah. still married, mm -hmm. and it still looks bad. Mm -hmm. Like. There's nothing you can do about that. Whether she is in the office now and all this different stuff. No, now you look stupid because no, he, you're still married to him on paper. Whether it's but, in your heart and in your mind, you're gone. You're still married. There's, there's people get separated, and you know the the public in this in this particular situation is just that they now don't have to think because. She, there's not going to be any negative impact from her because now it's just, you know, people get divorced, people get separated. People in the who, who would be voting for her are not going to look at her as lesser because she's going through this life circumstance. But even but, if they do, even if they do, his point was my goal was to get her elected. Exactly. That's what I owe to her. And she's now going to be elected. Sis, what is the chat saying? What are the viewers saying about, about the relationships and stuff with the police Nothing. crew? No Nothing comment. Right now. Mm -mm. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I, um, I, I thought that one of the things that was, I think is really important to name really quickly about the police, the police department um, uh, characters is that hey, one thing before you go to that, I just want to say, I do not like how the show created this relationship between Daniels and the lawyer. I feel like it was abrupt and it just happened and it was something they added in. So from a technical standpoint, I didn't like it. I just thought it was unnecessary. I but agree. You, please continue with your point. I just thought I it was agree unnecessary. because I wish, I wish we had more time because I would like to go deeper on just even that, that, that lawyer and the vicious relationship cycle that she keeps getting in. Why you keep Which, getting with other people's men? You know what I mean? So like many. this wanting, there's this so wanting, many. this targeting married, like there's a lot of brokenness there in her. I wish we had time to talk so about. So stupid. But the point I was going to make was that the, that the, the crew, our, our main characters, they were not actually focused on Hamsterdam. And in fact, they were not aware of the free zones, right? Not all of them. There were a couple that were aware. Herc and Ellis knew because they were under the leadership of Mayor Colvin mm -hmm. and direct leadership. And so they knew about Hamsterdam. But the other ones didn't even know about Hamsterdam. But guess what? They ended up encountering Hamsterdam because why? Because all of the crime and all of the drug dealing have been consolidated to Hamsterdam. And so to Aubrey's earlier point about it being effective and consolidating the conversations, we clearly saw that box checked because we actually saw within our, our, our primary characters, they were working on multiple other things. There were at least three other aspects of Baltimore crime that were being investigated by them. And all of their attention ended up being focused on Hamsterdam, at least to some degree, because that's where the crime was consolidated. So in that way, bro, we actually saw what you were talking about, the effectiveness of the consolidation. Because what ended up happening is they all ended up working together. When actually they were focused on different things, they were able to then organize their thoughts and efforts because all of the crime ended up being so clearly connected. You know? And um, and I want to talk- What about, what about, what about, Kima? What about Kima and her wife? How do y'all feel about that situation? 
I got to tell you, it happens every day. Happens every day when people fake the funk. Stop faking people. You know, Kima pretended to be interested in having a baby. Pretended for the sake of progressing her relationship along, but she wasn't really interested. And so what does that mean? It means that Kima and her wife may not actually be compatible, right? Same thing with the wife. The wife got with Kima, but wants Kima to be something different than Kima actually is. And this is the point where people have to sit down and say, are we still compatible? We may not be, and maybe we never were because we weren't being honest. And that, but, but, but the, the mandate always is make it work at any cost. And so Kima fakes the funk. And now here's this baby. Only one parent wants the baby. Kima literally doesn't even touch the baby. I don't think the whole season. We never <laughs> see Kima touch the baby. If anything, we see so. Kima sit on the couch and give the baby the side eye. You snarling know? at the baby. Snarling at the baby because she's not interested. And she finally just owns up to it, but she owns up to it too late. She's like, oh, I only said I was into it because I wanted you. I was saying what I had to do to get you, wife. And now I got you, but now you done got this baby over here. So I felt like it was too bad, bro. But it was also, again, the show pointing out, like, this is a reality. Mm -hmm. This is what happens. People get in it. They fake the funk, but now they in there. And now and they and they feel a need to continue to pretending. And with there's 30 seconds left in this topic that just to say that Kima made a statement to McNulty saying, I'm turning into you. <laughs> Who would have thought that I'd be turning into McNulty with the similar life of I'm not who you want me to be. And I can't mm -hmm. be who you want me to be. I can't even be it for myself, no matter how much I want to. But with and that being said, Kima and McNulty in their relationship, as they were going forward in their police work, they never stopped looking up the organization. Mm -hmm. Stop doing it, which was an excellent situation. So who wants to jump in that on our last 15 minutes on our last topic? Well, I know we got to transition, but I got to violate the rules because be we cannot, valid. we cannot, I love violating the rules. we cannot, because the rules are meant to be broken because we cannot leave the police crew segment without talking about the race question that came up with Prez Belusky. We, we just have to just name well, it, gotta, even you, if we can't explain, go deep. Explain, what explain actually the situation. I'll explain the situation. What actually happened was, as we've talked about earlier, and we talked about in seasons one and season two, Prez Belusky on the streets, he is a terror. He is a terror because he's not good at he's it. He's horrible. He's not good at being on the streets. He's not, he's not, he's not he probably does have some no racist tactics. inclinations. Um, which most white people, they mean to or not. It is just a function of being socialized in America. And Prez Belusky, we see that playing out in his policing. You know, we watched him abuse uh, people in the, in the community, Black people in the community in the earlier seasons. We watched him shoot. And so that was his evidence of him, like, not really having a good and relationship. Sis, I want you to know that Rod is encouraging you to break the rules. Okay, <laughs> rules, you Shout out, out rules. to Rod. Thank okay, Rod. thank you, Rod. <laughs> rules, you gone, rules. Because you know what? The other thing we see that, that Presbylewski, his skill set, his basic skill sets are not sound. You're not good at using a gun, okay? You're not good at following police street protocols, such as yelling out, police, to identify who you are. That's a simple <laughs> tactic we all know just from watching Law and Order. So he's not good at it. 
But because of what? Because he's in this job, he can't get out. His father-in-law, who is a higher up in the police de department, keeps pushing him into leadership roles and pushing him into opportunities. He can't get out. Um, and in fact, when he does violate the rules, he keeps getting off. He keeps getting, he keeps, he, he, they keep pushing it under the rug or, or minimizing the actual impact. Things like shooting your gun in a closed office environment accidentally. This is how whack he is. And we see him out on the streets once again, once again, because it's a part of his job description, he's out on the streets and he ends up- No, shooting. let's be clear. He was out to go get sandwiches. They went on a dinner run. <laughs> and but, McNulty heard a call. But it's in their job description that if you're on duty, and there is a crime You're nearby, you must go now and check it out. And so what ends up happening? We see Pres Belusky with his ill-equipped self, okay, out in foot pursuit of a criminal. Um, and guess, because oh, there's, there's a shooting happening. They're trying to find out where the shooting is happening. And Pres Belusky walks up on a black man with a gun and shoots him. Now, it turns he out, up. He, he drives up on a black nope. man with a gun and shoots him. Now, it turns out that that black man was a police officer. And if Presbalewski had taken the two seconds to just yell police, then the other, they, they would have had a chance to identify each other as police officers. Now, we all know that a gunshot, like this is the kind of thing that really can, in an instant, take out a life. And so you're on the fence because you're like, Presbalewski saw a person with a gun and, um, and immediately shot him. And um, so you're part, you're part in some ways you're like, well, the person had a gun. But the other thing is like, was the person even like holding the gun up in a way that it was pointing at Presbalewski? You're not sure until later on when Presbalewski is sitting there reflecting on what happened and he just flat out admits, I'm bad at this. I was ill-equipped, I'm paraphrasing. I'm bad at this. I was ill-equipped for the situation. Uh, my, my life was not actually under threat. I just saw a person with a gun and I shot him. And so we then find out that it was pretty arbitrary um, in the way that Presbalewski ended up uh, shooting another police officer. But guess what? Who's out on the streets walking free? Walking free in the earth, Presbalewski, because he's a police officer. And so the consequences are minimal. They're minimal. So we just have to name that because they didn't spend a whole lot of time on it because they didn't need to. Because, but but it, it, it raised a question within the police department about race, racism, and leadership and sanction. And all of that came up in the context of this guy who is just a complete F up, but keeps being deployed over and over again. In, in the wrong circumstance. In the wrong, wrong he's an F up in the wrong circumstance. Wrong but circumstance. The stuff that would make Press Belusky excited, he was able to zoom in on a license plate. He was like, look at this. He was so happy about it. Gosh, I love technology. Mm, I just hate it. I know, we got, I know we got to move on because there's a whole segue here that we don't have time to get into about what happens when you as a person start to realize that you are not in the right space in life, right? That we're seeing it in the marriages. We're seeing it in our professional experiences all throughout this show. You're seeing people that are not a good fit for the space that they're in. And there's a conversation to be had about having the courage to leave 
It is about having the ability to leave. Some of them don't have the ability to change the circumstance. There's a conversation to be had about people letting you be different. Presbyluski was saying, I'm not a good fit for this. But things around him and people around him just kept pushing him back into the circumstance. So anyway, one day when we aren't having time constraints, we go deeper on this, just this general concept. This but like concept. your concept does bring you into two people. Why, yes, it um, does. It's a segue concept. Into the, it segue back into concept. That's right. So you do have Bubs, who is an informant oh. for the police, a CI. Mm-hmm. But we're starting to see Bubs become more of who he is. One of the good things that came out of Hamsterdam, I Bubs had already started to not do as much drugs and started to really see like, I don't want to continue to get metal and sell it for drugs. I want to get some real money from the police officers. You're actually doing something. You could see him starting to want to do something different with his life or be some sense of who he used to be. Mm. Explain what his his job with the police is. (laughs) So as, as a criminal informant, Bubs, he goes and he buys drugs from the people he gets the cell phones that they're throwing out on the street. It's Intel. He is Intel. He is getting all this different stuff. He and is he's serious about it. He's yeah, so, you he guys. He's so serious about it. And then, but he has an hourly pushing, rate. He, he has negotiated an hourly rate for himself. He has an hourly rate, but you see him starting to set himself up. He's like, listen, Kima, hold on to some of this money. Oh, I'm about to start a t-shirt business. I see them wearing them long tees. He's walking around with a grocery cart selling t-shirts, you guys, to the point where in Amsterdam, in Amsterdam, one of the young hoppers who has nothing to do sees him selling the t-shirts and he starts saying to him, you know, you need to start looking into selling hoodies because it's starting to get cold outside. To that, mm. Bubs takes him under his wing and starts showing him like... He's helping him sell these white tees. We're starting to see this mentorship happening that we've always seen in Bubs because there was a young white boy that was an addict that he was like saying, listen, you're doing too much drugs. So he he was like, slow down, Uh, which we do. He does die at the end of this season, that young man, because there was another man telling him, slow down, you're doing too many drugs. Good mentorship, Um, bad mentorship. Exactly. Oh. Well, so, well, well, it's 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 also just. So much. I, I feel like. I feel like that. Bubbles is just a masterclass in character development. Like, oh, he's just so seeing, good. Just seeing how. So good. Nuanced that character is, and it 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 pulls you in on a level because you really feel like, man. First of all, you. I gotta pull it, up that it, actor's one, name one thing, one, I can't remember thing, it. But it's one thing that's good about. The wire. He's is great that in you, everything he does. It, it's one of those things that where you feel like you're watching actual events play out. Andre and, and, Royo. Yes. And, Andre and, Royo. Listen, watching, the man is a pro. Okay. And watching, a pro. And watching him <laughs> have all these different sides of you so know, complex. And you just think of, man, if he it was just one of those situations where you think if he was born somewhere else, any other circumstance, we talked you know, about. And, and and then you get to com- contrast it against. I'm escaping his name, but his friend that he was running with the um the white guy, the young white guy. The, but when you see 
somebody like him, you feel like wherever he would have been born, man, he was just running towards destruction. That was just in his personality type. So I'm just saying it's just interesting because you get to see different types of people Yeah, where, you know, the tragedy isn't always the same. You know, it's like, and and I feel like Bubbles is just, man, that was just an amazing yeah yeah and so we see bubbles not having an opportunity to fully transition he is an addict he's we're seeing he has he has aspirations for more but he's not able to fully transition out of it there's another character that pops up this season that does get a chance to transition and this character what is his name Cuddy. cuddy and he's my bff I love me some Cuddy, okay? Cuddy is someone who had been incarcerated for 14 years, who was a part of the Barksdale organization, who actually, he gets out. He gets out, he's completed his time, and he has the opportunity to continue in a life of drug dealing. And at first- Before you go forward, I just wanna pause you. We have a comment about Bubbles. Um, from Rod, he said, bubbles. if you guys are, <laughs> if you guys are interested, uh, there is a breakdown of the wire seasons and they break down how bubbles played his part so well that the people on set thought he was a real bum <laughs> one day. <laughs> <laughs> they thought he was a real bum one day and they put him off set almost. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. What a great That's tribute. So what a great funny. tribute. You know? It. Because he is one of those actors like, I don't care what other part he ever plays in life. Like if he plays like a messiah, I will always be like, man, that was a good drug addict because he was so good (laughs) at that that time he was on crack. (laughs) He was on that hair on. You remember that? (laughs) So this other character, Cuddy. Cuddy is, he's been released and he, he, he is, uh, we're watching him again, so much complexity in the portrayal. We need to pull up that actor's name because Cuddy, he is torn because he is not feeling actually inclined toward the life that he once had. But guess what? What are the options that are available to him? What is actually available to him as options? He does not have even a high school diploma. And so if, if he does not want to pursue a life of drugs anymore, of drug dealing, what does he have to do? So he tries to go straight. And what does going straight do for him? Well, you know, not much because he's out doing landscaping and that's, that turns out not to be a super great fit, but he's doing it because it's an option that's available. And then that's not going well. It's not fulfilling. He remembers the, 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 and bells Janiya, and whistles. that's to the point you've made before by landscaping is his only option. Once you're incarcerated, your life is taken away from you. And and he had been in the drug game for so long. It really was the, the primary skill set that he had going mm-hmm. into prison. He had been a really top-notch defender in the drug game. And so he then ends up exploring drug life again. And what? There are some parts of it that are great. There are women, there's community, right? Like he's got a crew, he's got people around him who are investing in him. Now they are investing in him so that he could go and, and ruin the community, but he has a he has a community around him, he has friends. And even in that, he did, he's not a good fit because the game has changed. The game is not His what it was. Chad Coleman. Chad Coleman, you are very good. And right. he, he ends up- He, he also plays up, on All-American, he's great. And bro, this is now to your point about the good things that came out of Amsterdam, 
okay? Because he was not a good fit in the landscaping and in that kind of life of, of um, you know, the blue collar work. He was not a good fit anymore for drug dealing. He actually, there was a point where he had to shoot someone, which is what his, one of his top-notch skill sets before he went to jail and he didn't feel like doing it. So he didn't do it. And well, so well, then- well, the thing is, let me just say this. Cuddy is, you know, when you talk about- I hope gang, he won an award. When you talk about gangsters, he is the top of, you know- He's I the mean, G. He you, is you, the G. Like when, when he- came out just the respect that yep. he still had after 14 years mm -hmm. his name was still rung out in one of the most aggressively gangster cities that you could think of and what i'm saying is his name still rang out and to just see that transition of a like jenna said at one point he gets back into the game because it was nothing else but that point that you're talking about where he was about to shoot that guy. And not only was it a rival gang member, but it was also when Cuddy first came out, he got some drugs as a coming home gift that he gave- A significant amount. A, a significant amount of yeah, drugs. He got, he got, and he gave it to this rival drug dealer because he wasn't in the game yet, just, <laughs> just to sell out and split the, split the profits which the guy stole his money. The so trail. the point, point I'm making is, is if there was ever a situation- To shoot somebody. To shoot somebody bop, bop, bop. In, this, in this game. <laughs> um, if there's ever a situation that this- bop, bop, bop somebody. Bop, that's bop. it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's it. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. that was just great TV, man. It was that such was great TV great. because we were all in the crisis with him. Part yeah. of you is like, shoot him. He stole our money. But then the other right. party is like, don't shoot anyone. People shouldn't be shot. But then you're like, but, but then again, he did betray us. But then you're also like, Cuddy, we're so invested in you. We want you to be a good drug dealer. Be successful at that. But, <laughs> but then you're like, listen. no, Cuddy, you don't want to be a drug dealer. Don't <laughs> do it. It's so complicated. But, it's so but, complicated. Then, but then a third option emerges. And it only emerges, frankly, because of Amsterdam. Mm. A third option emerges, which is for him to go into nonprofit life. And he ends up creating a nonprofit organization that is teaching young people how to box. He ends up opening up a, a, a nonprofit gym. And that option would not have emerged for him if it had not been for the specific circumstance of Hamsterdam creating idle youth because these are youth that would have otherwise right. been deployed right. in the drug game. They were available. I, he, he ended up through circumstances um, coming into contact with a deacon at a church that had relationships in the larger nonprofit and service community. And then he ends up because of that convergence of circumstances, actually finding a path that I, it seemed like it was a good fit for him. He's probably a person, if he had had a, a different kind of life, you know, growing, like if he was born in our household, I always take these characters and I'm like, if they were born in our household, if Cuddy was our brother, he probably would have been a teacher. He might have been yeah. a, a nonprofit leader. You know, he might've just been someone who um, was out on the streets. He, he actually could have been a religious person. There's so many ways that his servant leadership could have played out for him if he had Those two grown things, up though. in a different context. 
there are two things though that come to my mind. One, if Cuddy had grown up in a household like ours, would he understand those hoppers as much as he does? We can understand the hoppers from the outside looking in, hey, stop hopping. There's something else to yeah. do. But Pop when you've been out for some enrichment, for some please. academic and cultural enrichment, we want that's get we your want tail in here and mm -hmm. get a sandwich. That's right. But for, for Cuddy, he is has the reputation enough to go into those places and know he know he's not he knows he's not going to get bothered, and then he also understand where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. You had to be there to get it. And I'm so relatable. happy you met. Exactly. You mm -hmm. made it out. Mm -hmm. um, and especially because that type of drug game, that type of game, all things come with their own type of PTSD. And so he can understand those young boys in a different way mm -hmm. than someone else. The other thing I wanted to say was that I think about how Cuddy came out and he's seeing the drug different than what it used to be so he's seeing at one point there is a young guy from the Buxdale organization he's clearly still in money you could tell from how he's dressed because his money is short and his girlfriend and how she's dressed so Cuddy back in the day yeah you handle that but you, you teach him a lesson and then you move on from it and he's learned the lesson and so he's seeing these two but now it's like you, you die yeah cuddy is like the honor wait a minute where is, where is the honor among thieves? That's right. there we go yep but we still need them and they're mm -hmm. like no he's got to good. learn yeah yep and then also this no longer training the kids up which i use that very loosely right training them up to be these better drug dealers that are committed and loyal they're allowing these kids these opportunities and things, and they're they're going out doing things that they have no business doing. For example, shooting at someone on a Sunday. That is just a rule that the the drug dealers have. We don't do this on a Sunday, let the alone Sunday truce. in it's front of a the, church. It's called the Sunday truce. The Sunday truce, we, or let alone in front of a church. And there's an old church lady that is gonna get hit. We don't do this type of thing, but because these young boys are coming up and they're not training them these things, they're not training these things, they're being allowed to be more loose. That's why there's probably even more killing in the street than there needs to be, maybe, because you're not, there's, the answer is become this instead of like, there even being some type of respect. Even though we're all doing the same thing and I want to win, there's no longer this respect. Mm. So I and think that, that you, was happening in so many ways. Sis, you have just, and again, we've thrown the time clock out the window to some degree, but to move us on. Oh, we haven't. I, I put it back at <laughs> 10 minutes more and we're down to the needing, we're at 444. Oh, we're going to, we may have to go over just a, a skosh because... I was just going to say what you have just sis in talking about that push and pull between like old school, uh, you know, way of doing things and new school way of doing things. You have just segued us to what we between the three of us have been calling drug dealer cooperative economics. And so, bro, I wonder if you could take I, us through because to this relate. Okay. But he listened as me. He did. did. 
He called. Um, he so called he was it. complicit. Um, and so that wouldn't stand up in a court of law, bro. You were present. <laughs> you were present, and you know you were there. Uh, so um, he didn't deny it. He he didn't knock us. He didn't. Where's knock that us. lawyer lady? <laughs> but bro, maybe you can take us now into because this is. And you all may know this from from our last two episodes of our podcast. Quick that side note: Aubrey, Keisha said that Cuddy would have been a bishop if he was in our family. Listen, or he might have been my boyfriend that I met in our neighborhood because I really would like to date him. But anyway, we can talk about that at another time. Um, but bro, I like him as a brother-in-law. I think he'd be he'd be super great. Um, so you know, if anybody out there is like like him, but like you're a real person, you're not a character in a show. You can totally like reach out to me. Um, so let's now talk about the Barksdale <laughs> organization, okay? Because there is a push and pull in the Barksdale organization that is absolutely about the old way of doing things and the new way of doing things. This well, is a great segue to to that relationship, bro, those in the transitions in the Barksdale group. Well, yeah, I mean, like, probably most people that, you know, that's the, I mean, it, it was just such a good story. And oh, basically, no, no. basically what we're, what we're talking about is the relationship between Stringer Bell and Avon Barksdale, who, as we know, Avon is the head of this organization, but Stringer is a very close number two. And Stringer, and I love the dichotomy of these personalities. Mm. Because so different, so good, Avon so is, well written. It's so it's so well written because oh. Avon is the quintessential gangster. Just as much as he enjoys the success, or more than enjoying the success, he loves his name to ring out. You know, he wants people to know he's the top gangster in the. That's city. a rule. It's he, a he rule just, of the he, game. He just wants people, and he was in prison uh, following the events of season one. He spent season two in in prison, but now uh, because of some things he did, he uh, some underhanded things he did, he is now back on the street. Only after, he had a seven year sentence, he only served two years. And so now he's back on the street. Now, while he was gone, Stringer was setting up this, for the, the drug trade in Baltimore, he was instrumental in setting it up like a business and reducing the amount of banging. So his, Stringer's thought process is, we're in this to make money. And there are ways for us to take this money and go legit. So what do we care about being, you know, the kings of some street quarters that we don't even really own anything? Like, that's ridiculous to him. And Avon is like, well, look, this is the game. And the game is being the top gangster. Now, with so for Stringer to um, be able to create this environment where it's basically just drug selling his business, he creates the New Day Co-op, which uh, along with Prop Joe, who is one of the leaders on the east side, just like Stringer and Avon are on the west side, and all the major drug dealers, or most of the major drug dealers, they all get together to all put pull their money and buy the best 
the highest test drugs that they could get, the best package that they could get, and they share it and they all have their territory uh, uh, mapped out and there's no banging, there's no beef. And that, that's the goal to get to that. Look, we just sell this commodity like people sell other stuff. Yeah, right? get a good but product, get a no good banging. product, sell it. Exactly. No banging. We're not. We're not attracting the police. We're minding. We're not attracting the police. We're, we're we're just and so we're just Ace, out here making money. And there's one outlier who we didn't talk about, but um, his no name. Well, Do it, we, bro. Do it. Well, I'm just. I'm just saying. We we had one outlier, Mar Marlo, Marlo, was the only one who. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we'll be able to talk about him next season, bro. I didn't, I haven't seen next season, yeah, we're, we're but not, they we're, left him alive, right? But, we're going to talk to, but, we'll but, have but, time yeah. to talk about him. Yes, but it's important to bring him up because I just want to say he's the outlier in this whole situation that Stringer's trying to create. That's right. And the reason why it's important to say that is because he is from that same school of thought. Marlo is from that same school of thought that, look, it's all about being the number one, even if it's for yep. that one of his mentors told him like, look, the jails and the graveyards are filled with people who wore the crown. And his immediate response was, but they wore it. But they wore it. But they wore but it. They so, wore it. So you have two people, Avon mm. and Marla, who are now banging over drug territory, which creates this rift between Stringer and Avon because you know, it's, Avon doesn't get it according to Stringer, and Stringer doesn't get it according to Avon. So I feel like- And bro, it's also at war with the Hamsterdam concept. Okay, I just had to plug that. Like that, that's another thing because the Hamsterdam product, pro, the, the idea of Hamsterdam that consolidating yeah. all the drug dealers selling right, drugs right. together, yeah, yes, that's yes, yes. another new concept that is right. at war with the gangster mentality. Right. So um, the, the reason why this was said, this so storyline ultimately, so excuse me, ultimately ended up in dividing these two lifelong friends because, and they Woo. both end up betraying each other. I'm gonna just tell you <laughs> that, you know, because Stringer betrays Avon through speaking to the police, Colvin. He speaks to Colvin, Major Colvin, who set up Amsterdam. And because he set up uh, Amsterdam, Stringer thinks, well, this is a forward thinking individual. Maybe he'll understand my problems. And basically what he wants Colvin to do is just lock Avon up for a few years so that he could just get this thing straight and get them off the street completely. That's his goal. And Avon betrayed Stringer because Stringer was involved with uh, an attempted murder on somebody that Avon was affiliated with. Brother Muzon. Brother Muzon. I, I didn't even want to say that because that, that's a whole nother, a whole nother convo. But like. But but the point the, out the window now. But, but the but the point. No no no. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're still being we're, very we're, responsible. Yeah, we're, we're, we're being we're, very responsible. This because this is the last this is the last topic. But <laughs> all I want to say is, is that television when Stringer and Avon were on the the balcony? They were on the deck of Stringer of uh, Avon's, Avon's new 
downtown condo in his name as a result of what Stringer's been putting together. Legitimate business. Both of them know they betrayed each other. And just seeing that interaction, I'm just saying, I've watched that scene so many times because you see the pain in both of their eyes, just like both of betraying. their hearts break. And Your bro, hearts, are hearts break. And bro, but I didn't tell you hearts are broken. I didn't tell you this. You all, if you watched our first two podcasts on this on the wire, you know that Aubrey at the beginning, he has been guessing about what parts of this show would break us, meaning make me and Brittany cry. And I didn't tell y'all that was the only time where I actually have teared up so yeah. far in this entire show. It is the part where, a, where it is a part where Avon and and Stringer are talking to each other, and they both know that the only way for them to succeed is to kill each other. They know that they cannot operate together yes. anymore and when live that happened, and be I successful. You guys, I text you guys. That was a goodbye hug. They yeah. knew that they weren't. One of them wasn't. I wasn't going to see you again. Yeah, they, they knew. knew. They knew, and my heart was just so broken because it was true. They were no longer compatible in life. They were no longer compatible in business. And guess what? That was all those, that's the, those are all the categories. Ooh, and so, that was, that's another topic towards your relationship. Mm. Who's talking about relationships, girl? Yeah. That's enough. Friendship. <laughs> listen, listen, because it you, happens. You're no, you, you can part ways. And, and guess what? That, and, and, and they had both been in denial about it for a while. That same kind of wanting to hold on because of what we once had, that they were, they had been doing it for a while, but they, they had been incompatible for quite a while. And, um, and again, under different circumstances, as young people, if they had been children uh, with more options available to them, they might not even have been two people that would have been friends as young people. But it was just that the only <coughs> place for these two kind of people with leadership potential of any sort to become leaders, it was in the drug trade. That was the only leadership channel and that they it, had available. And what else was so tragic about it was that if either of them could have got the other one on the same page, obviously, I, you know, I, from my perspective and my personal experience, I completely understand what Stringer was trying to do. But yep. what I also understood was is if either of them could have got the other one on the same page, they may have been more successful on either way. If they would have decided to go full gangster or if they decided to, uh, you know, work their way out of the game completely. But um, but I'm gonna tell you, it, it ultimately, at the end of the season, Avon, because Stringer informed on him, goes to jail, but Stringer gets shot. And I'm gonna tell you, uh, I was devastated when <laughs> Stricker got shot. Like that was that was some TV that I'm like, yo, this is just TV. Why am I impacted by this? But you could just his I days just, were numbered to win. I just I just felt I they felt were. his I felt his struggle. And the thing was is that I just felt a struggle of trying to do something. Like mm -hmm. it, and just it made so much sense to him. Like, look, y'all, who cares? about these corners mm. like we're, like who cares we're just trying and through him trying to you know uh maneuver and and and, and one of the the writer 
he said that it was hard for him to kill Stringer. Mm. But, but he said, because everybody loved him, but he said it wouldn't have been real because he was trying to civilize a game that just will not be civilized. So for me to show him- It won't be civilized. Yeah, so so for me to show him succeeding or, or even continuing, it just wouldn't have been realistic. And uh, I'll just say that as far as television goes, man, that moment of, you know, when he got shot, I the first time I saw that was with someone who was already watching The Wire. I didn't start watching The Wire until after season three. So the person I was watching The Wire with, they were, I mean, would, that episode happened to be the episode that we they were watching, right? But I, I wasn't really paying attention because I, I didn't watch the show at this point. But when they were, they shot Stringer, they, like it was a real person, I'm like, Yo, it's just That's TV. a character. But, but, Calm down. But, but it's yeah. funny because even though I knew it was coming up, mm-hmm. and even though I knew how it it ended, man, when that came around, I still wasn't ready. And can I tell you? And I, I still knew, wasn't ready. I knew, I knew Stringer had to go. I knew Stringer had to go, and I knew he needed to go since he killed D'Angelo. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was there was a I don't I don't think we covered it in today's episode. But if you've seen the earlier seasons, um, Avon Barksdale's nephew, who was another one of those people who's just caught up in the game because that's he was because he was in it, couldn't get out. Family circumstance, economic, social circumstance in the game was not good at the game, didn't like the game, but was in the game and ended up being victimized by the game and was in jail, was going to be in there for 20 years and um, ended up being killed by Stringer um, or Stringer orchestrated his murder and Mm -hmm. made it look like a suicide. And Avon Barksdale, technically Stringer's boss, did not know. And, and, And there was a point in season three where Stringer owns up to it. And the reason he actually owns up Ooh, to it. Oh, that was a good scene. Oh, the reason so Stringer owns up to it is because it was the first moment in the entire three seasons where they named their incompatibility. Because Avon said to Stringer, just might not be Geta in the way that we need you to be to be successful in this trade. And he said, you never have been. That's what Avon said. He named that fundamental incompatibility. And in order to say, oh, we're a little bit more compatible than you think, Stringer said, I killed your nephew because it had to be done to support this trade. Because of the game, I had to kill him. And guess what? That's when, listen, that was unexpected. I knew that that, that, that D'Angelo's murder was going to be one of the reasons that Stringer had to go, but him owning up to it and Avon sitting there and the two of them having to have that conversation, I didn't expect that. That was but another see, time where I the was experiencing- background to that is the police tears. getting into there. That was McNulty getting in there, speaking to D'Angelo's baby's mom saying, I'm looking at these scars on D'Angelo's neck and I went and tested it out. There's no way that this could have been a suicide. He would have just sat on the floor and not mm-hmm. been able to strangle himself. Mm. There's no possible way. That then leads Donetta, who is D'Angelo's baby's mom, to tell his mother. His mother is then talking to Stringer and Stringer is like trying to tell Donetta and D'Angelo's mother, listen, they're police. 
That's what they do. They're trying to break us up. Da-da-da-da. But really, Stringer is covering his own ass. Mm. And really, it's just like, but but Stringer, but none of this would have happened. But this is what happens, Stringer, when you start operating in your own way. And mm. in your own mindset, you think that this is what's happening. This will be best. But you're not even well, conceptualizing. That, 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 is what, that is what was best. I mean, that well, I mean, the, to, the, to him, Angel, but the, to anybody other that, than Avon and Donette. I mean, but other the, than see, Avon that's and, the, um, we've had Rihanna. that debate. Yeah, yeah so right, we've, we've had that debate. But 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 what I do want to say is that even with Stringer dealing with this whole thing and realizing, listen, we need to be a business, B and B enterprises, he also realizes that the shady foolishness that happens in the drug game is the same shady foolishness that happens in the business game. Giving people your money, thinking that they're going to do right with it because your money, Avon has to let him know when they see you, they just see another black man from the ghetto. This is what he's saying to him. And he's realizing, and he, but at this point, this is when Avon wants to be a gangster. He's like, listen, these people stole my money. Let's handle it. Even the gangsters are like, because he was getting caught up with one of the, I think he was a senator, Clay Davis. Um, he got caught up with Clay Davis. He gave Clay Davis money to help him with B&B Enterprises. Clay Davis screwed him over. And Avon was ready to, like, you know, squad up. I need y'all to do something. Stringer. He's saying this. I mean, Stringer is ready like, let's go. He's talking to one of the OG drug dealers that are like more level-headed and leader. And, and the, his name is Slim. Slim goes, you want us to kill Clay Davis? The Clay Davis? <laughs> no. Like he, He's saying to him, what you're saying right now, it literally makes no sense. You think that we won't get in trouble pet over that? You think we won't get caught over that? And you're, so mixing the games. Remind, you're mixing the game. You're mixing them up. Mm-hmm. And it is because, again, I think Stringer, while we know that money is money talks, right? We also know that your class, where people place you, also talks. But again, Stringer's character was complex because even when they finally got a chance to go into his house, which I never said anything, but I've always been wanting to see where Stringer lives. I just been there's wanting a reason, to see that. There's a reason we didn't get to see it until he was dead. Until he was dead because McNulty picks up and I can't remember which one it was, but he was The just Wealth like, of Nations. Who? The book was The Thank Wealth you. of Nations. He was like, who, Stringer, who, who was this guy? Like, I, I don't even know who I was chasing at this point because really- McNulty is looking at that book like, I have better opportunities. I'm a police officer. I would never read this book. This is what's going through his mind. Like, this person might have been, was better than you. They were smarter than you. This is what's happening. But, you know, that, so that says, was something I just thought was just really pivotal for Stringer. Just him seeing that it's, it's awful anywhere you go. There's people thieving. There's gangsters everywhere. You know, they just look different. And sis, you know, I, I want to thank you for naming, for, for starting to, to take us back to the politics, sis, to take us back to the politics, because that was the piece of the show that was the new line that we saw in episode three. So thank you for taking us back to the politics. Because when you did that, sis, you gave me an idea for a new symbol that we could use to close out this episode. Let's okay, go. for a voting symbol. 
business cards. All right, let me make a case. Let me make a case. Stop. There, as you know, shrink. So listen, Stringer and Avon, listen, they've been off the grid until season three, until now, because now they have enough legitimate business income to, to actually have phone numbers that they can call clean numbers. And it was so symbolic of the transition when Stringer took a business card out of his very wallet and it had on it B and B Enterprises and he hands it to McNulty, right? He was like, listen, I'm legitimate now. Let me hand you a business card, right? Pivotal point. And there was also a pivotal point with a business card related to the police. McNulty, he traipses him, you talked about it earlier, sis. McNulty takes himself right on over to D'Angelo's late girlfriend's house and, and hands her a business card and says, I believe that D'Angelo was murdered. What it was not suicide. Series of events it's kicked off by just that moment of stopping by and dropping off his business card to say, call me if you want to partner with me in investigating this further. Business card on the politics side. Listen, business cards were muck on the politics side, but there was absolutely, there were, there were moments of exchange of business card between the politicians as they were making deals and politicians pretending to be in cahoots or actually, actually being in cahoots with the drug dealers, but also deceiving the drug dealers. Again, business yep. cards, business cards being exchanged. I would like to recommend that the symbol that we use to tabulate the right perspective on season three of The Wire be business cards. What do you think? That was a top-notch sale. And I, and I know that because I, I'm a gangsta. I, I hate it. <laughs> I don't hate it. It was just such a top-notch sale. I had to raise you. <laughs> You always gotta berate me, y'all. <laughs> y'all, let's use business cards. I, I, I'm, I don't like police badges because it's like, if this season was really about the politics and so much else, can we use yeah, business cards? Right, let's do okay. it, sounds good. Well, I have a wrapping thought. As, as we were talking through these various things, there were certain universal truths that started to come up. And as they were coming up, I just wrote them down. There are truths, things that prove true for all three categories of groups of people that we've been talking about. Things that are true for the police, things that were true for the politicians, and things that were true for the drug dealers. Number one, there is a disconnect, but also a requirement that comes from the, the, the need to preserve self, the need to support team, and the need to support the larger community. There is, there is a constant push and pull that we see in all three of these groups between that self-preservation, I need to have my name known, I need to keep my job, I need to keep my pension, I need to, that self-preservation, I need to stay alive and actually helping the people that are around you to be successful. Second universal truth, there is an ongoing disconnect in these characters in many cases between who they are and who they want to be or who people perceive them to be or, or who they are, they know they aren't, but they're pretending to be. 
So there is a disconnect and we see it in the politicians, we see it in the police officers, we see it in the drug dealers. Third, third universal truth, race is always relevant. It's relevant in every single case. You know, we see Daniels now that he has gotten a promotion. Now he's a big wig. Now his black wife is gone. He's with a white woman. Presbyluski, you're a horrible police officer. Who you choose to shoot? You shoot a black man. Now we got to talk. Race is always present in every single one of these conversations. Last universal truth, if you, change is inevitable. And if you fight it, you die, your dreams die, or you kill someone else or you kill their dreams. Dropping the mic, bam. You can't change people, change comes from within. Own it. Closing thought. <laughs> that thought has been closed. I think, I think she just gave herself a certificate. Oh, I like a good rapid thought. So are there any other, any other closing thoughts before we tabulate the right perspective? Nope. Okay. Kick us off, bro. Well, I mean, does season three of the wire get your business card? I think we can just go ahead and give all my positives for <laughs> my, there's no question about my vote with this season pretty much so, with this series. <laughs> so yes, obviously. It had your business the, card the, before the, we started. Yeah. It's had my business card for quite some time. Yeah, totally. It definitely has my business card and it's, and it's a two-sided business card. It has, it has, it has stuff on both sides, important content. And the business card is one of those vertical ones instead of landscape. So it's just a little bit more fancy. <laughs> Um, than Aubrey's business card. Um, so yes, it gets my business card. Britt? Listen, this this season did not get a business card for me until mm. around episode uh. seven. If, it, if episode like seven didn't start to happen, mm. uh, this would have absolutely not gotten a business card for me because I was like banging my head against the wall watching like, Ah, why isn't everybody listening to each other? There are so many moving parts. This is getting on my nerves. When is it going to come together? So that that was really frustrating. I will tell you, Rod says that I agree with those universal truths. And he, Thank you, he Rod. Said that your, he said that your card was very fancy. Thank you, Rod. And also, you Rod, also, Rod, you agree that it's fancier than Aubrey's, which is really the point. <laughs> Thank you, Rod. <laughs> Please don't don't hype her up, Rod. Don't hype her up. <laughs> oh my gosh, y'all! This has been the right perspective. We are um, this podcast will post on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, every platform this Saturday, uh, August twenty second. And then our next podcast, because we post every two weeks, every other Saturday, our next podcast, which will be um, The Wire season four, will actually post on Saturday, September 5th. Can you believe that we're into September? What is going on? Time. I already, I already know what the season four um, symbol will be, just so you all know. Do you what want to tell that? the people now? No. Or wait. But I know. What okay. Ooh, that's okay. a good teaser. Okay. Okay. That's a good teaser. Tune in to find and... out what the symbol is. <laughs>
Also, I want everyone to know. And I'm going to tell you, whenever you're ready to watch season four, y'all need to have a little uh, Pinot Grigio or whatever. You Just get ready. (laughs) Buckle it. Wow. (laughs) Because because we're going to the school system, so buckle it. Oh, I'm angry already. I can't deal with that. Listen. I can't deal with the children. We did get into the school system just a tinge during this season we saw how that principal handled them kids and them kids listened but as soon as the the uh, colvin started talking them kids started talking yeah mm-hmm. and we definitely the, the, we talked about we talked about the impact on youth this season too so they yeah. they always start the segue they always yeah. start it okay well thank you bro thank Listen. you sis thank you One everyone for tuning in there's mm-hmm. a holiday happening august 28th it's my birthday, so mm-hmm. everyone, please tell me happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we're done. We they already, the they already knew that was your birthday, sis, because everybody knows because Listen, it's a holiday. It's a holiday. So thank you. I mean, everybody. I share it with the March on Washington, but it's okay. It's really my birthday. <laughs> yeah. Uh- <laughs> Civil rights, my birthday. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. It's just- <laughs> counting. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you everyone. Thank you bro and sis. Love y'all. Bye. Love you guys. Bye.